0: Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health and today we're going to talk about oxalates. It's something you might have heard about in the past. I certainly have Uh, maybe 20 years ago when it was found to be useful for women with pelvic pain Uh, but I discounted it and didn't find it very useful because I just didn't understand it and uh, unfortunately that was a not a why strategy, because it's a really important influence on your health, and one that most healthcare practitioners are fail to understand completely, and we are fortunate enough to have Sally Norton on today, who is an expert in this area, probably one of the leading experts in the U.S., largely because she had personal challenges with this, and she's got a really good uh, educational background in public health and nutri- nutritional sciences to put it all together uh, as to what how oxalate impacted her own health and how she can now use that understanding and help other people. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Sally.
1: Thank you, Dr. Mercola. It's really fun to be with you and your vast audience, which is obviously a very diverse audience, but one thing most everybody has in common is we've never heard of oxalate and have no idea why it matters.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you've been uh, impacted with it for most of your life, but didn't understand the reality until uh, relatively recently, as time goes, about, about 10 years or so, I guess. Uh, yeah. But why don't you briefly share your story and how it impacted your life and started into this. But I guess, yeah, then then we can go into exactly what oxalate is, because, well, I, I mean, we, most people have heard of it, but there's a great confusion as to precisely what it is.
1: Yeah. And some of that techie stuff, like what is this stuff, and it matters less than the understanding that it seriously can stop you in your tracks and and cause a lot of different kinds of health problems and a lot of problems in the same person. And like so many other people who are now discovering this, I was the kind of person who, no matter what I did, I could not create the vibrant, robust health that I felt that I wanted, I felt was intended for me to have. And it's just perpetual frustration, which is kind of amazing because, you know, the more you try to be healthy, the less it works. And even when you've got a degree in nutrition from Cornell University and a degree in public health, I worked in integrative medicine and knew all the holistic and complementary healing modalities. We taught that in a survey course. And We worked with holistic healers in the community to try to bring some awareness of a broader perspective on health and lifestyle and affecting clinical outcomes in all the health professions. And so here I was, the health expert who was not healthy. Uh, And just like you, I think that's really precious that you're saying about how you had heard about it. The Volva Pain Foundation started educating people 25 years ago and making a big effort to get foods properly tested to know about oxalate in food because the story here is that we're eating foods that are full of a toxin called oxalate, which is a tiny little chemical, and we're not paying attention to how this chemical is affecting our physiology, which if you think about it, isn't that surprising because it took us a long time to think about smoking and how that's affecting our physiology and it's taking us a long time to recognize that pesticides like Roundup are a problem for our yeah. physiology and reproductive health and so on. So I, here's I another know. one. It just said this one is a natural chemical that plants make, and we even make oxalate in our own metabolism.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's a fair comparison because with the uh, smoking tobacco industry and glyphosate and Monsanto, you've got two large industrial corporations who are essentially doing a lot of manipulation and distortion of the, of the truth and feeding the media with lots of lies and conflicting the stories with scientists who are essentially spreading false information. So with oxides, we don't have that going on. There's not this content, right. just a massive ignorance on this because right. it's really only understood in conventional medicine. And if you look on PubMed, you're not going to find a lot about it. I mean, you would, but I mean, just the traditional... <laughs> cursory PubMed search, you're only going to come up with calcium oxalate kidney stones. That's it. Yeah. That's like 95% of this information on it. And it's not disputed. It definitely contributes to kidney stones, but it's far more pervasive than kidney stones.
1: But you know science is a lot more than PubMed. PubMed is a clinical reference. It's it's really focused on medical applications, which is getting you towards the field of what we call translation. So we have basic research that then gets developed and then eventually we translate what we think we know about the problem, the source of the problem and develop remedies and what we mostly like to develop is symptom suppressing remedies, but there's some kind of translation into clinical practice and it gets written into protocols that affect the thinking of doctors and and how they see a patient present and then interpret what's going on with the patient. This topic has been left out completely and there's lots of places to drop a topic in science, it turns out. It's been in the medical literature and discussed in health and healthcare since about 1820. And it was a condition in the 1850s on through the early 1900s called the oxalic acid that was a seasonal problem that got worse in the spring and summer when fresh greens were available, when people's oxalate consumption would go up. And it was a known condition then and there's been lots of research between about 1850 and yesterday and it continues to be a story in in basic science and then in clinical sciences it's been relegated to just kidney stones which is super unfortunate but the places it gets dropped are very early on part of translating science is just the textbook writers and the professors that crew has chosen to just omit this topic and it hasn't pulled it together the topic is spread out across botany and toxicology and you name it all over the place, rheumatology. And no one's pulled this together to say, well, why are these crystals hanging around here? And where did it come from? And what's diet's role? Really no one has ever synthesized that. And so a lot of these threads that show oxalic acid in the diet or oxalic acid in the body, is harming glandular function harmony harming connective tissue function harming neurological function harming the excretion routes particularly the kidneys and so on we haven't pulled that together so a lot of follow-up on these a lot of these studies only have half a dozen people who've even referred to them let alone build the research by fighting for funding, which is a difficult cultural operation to get funding to follow up on these leads and really develop a better understanding of what's going on. So it's been dropped in a lot of places. Funding, of course, is a fad-driven process that well, requires...
0: <laughs> so I don't think, still, we really haven't defined it. And yeah. A, you, may, you referenced that it was a small molecule, but it's a really tiny molecule. It's only two carbons. So that's right. how acid or oxalates. And then discuss how, you know, the prevalence and the food supply and really high sources and how it gets absorbed as nano, uh, nanocrystals and the macro crystals and how that can just escalate and cause tissue damage.
1: Yeah. So it's really fascinating because oxalate has being so small and it, nature makes it easily, even clouds make it, it, it rains down in acid rain. I mean, it's, it's two carbons and four oxygens and it has these two protons that fall off easily. That's the acid part of oxalic acid. And in nature that the first proton just splits off pretty much at all normal pHs. So it's always a reactive compound. So it starts off super reactive and is attracted to positively charged minerals. And there's a second proton. So it's quite easy to, um, become a double negative that likes a double char- double positive charge. So calcium is a particular love of oxalate and vice versa. The two of them seek each other out quite easily. So we often see very abundantly the calcium oxalate form of oxalate. We see it in the plants. The plants form crystals and have uh, the smaller individual ions and nanocrystals, but they do form these bigger constructions, these kind of plant pyramids, rocks and sticks and diamonds and things that the plants make probably deliberately. For many, many purposes, the plants are are making use of oxalate for self-defense. But then in the body, you're going to see these other forms that oxalic acid be connected to a a molecule that has less strong a bond and thus is called soluble. And that's potassium oxalate and sodium oxalate and so on. Those are the soluble forms. So when you see oxalate in nature, you see the crystals, the big calcium oxalate crystals, that's the same thing that a kidney stone is made of. The major ingredient of the classic kidney stone is oxalate. Uh, Unfortunately, in our parlance in medicine, we think of it as calcium. And same with other forms of calcium deposits in the body. We just generalize to calcium because there are multiple types of calcium stones. But in the case of oxalate stones and oxalate causing calcification in the body, the oxalate part gets sort of dropped. And so medicine is not taught that, hey, you need the substrate to make a kidney stone. You need to provide enough oxalic acid or oxalate, soluble oxalate, the potassium oxalate, the sodium oxalate and so on. You need to provide enough of that to perform this calcification in the kidneys and elsewhere in the body. Um, So the plants that we're eating have these oxalate crystals, the big ones, just cause abrasion, they're, they're like diamonds and dust and, and sharp pencils or sharp toothpicks. They're very pointy and sharp and harsh, although they're very small, but at, at the cellular level, they're quite big and abrasive and they just cause me- mechanical damage. But the that is a construction that comes from a bunch of individual ions that become individual oxalate, that is oxalic acid plus the salt form. And pairs of those, you need about eight pairs of the individual molecules to form a nanocrystal. So there's your seed crystal that's invisible. And that's been invisible to all of our technologies until very recently. You only see it in the literature in the last 15 years, pictures of nanocrystals. But that would be the most abundant form in plants and certainly in our bodies. But these soluble oxalates are the ones that easily, because they're so tiny, easily pass through in between cells. And just with passive transportation, transport, we end up absorbing oxalate. And the amount we absorb depends on a lot of factors, especially the health of our digestive tract. So those of us with any inflammation in the digestive tract are more prone because of sort of leaky gut and so on, and other factors that aren't well understood more prone to absorbing more of that soluble oxalate and even nanocrystals of calcium oxalate. At least 1% of calcium oxalate from food is also absorbed in addition to the soluble oxalate. But see, the soluble oxalate's not content being potassium oxalate. It'd much rather be calcium oxalate or iron oxalate or magnesium oxalate. So right away, it starts grabbing minerals and it starts messing with mineral metabolism, even can create bouts of acidosis, which is another issue we can talk about later, but so oxalates are a plural because there's so many forms. You can have the ion, you can have nanocrystals, you can have microcrystals, which are the big ones. You can have them in these different forms of different kinds of minerals attached to them. And they, as they're changing partners and moving around, it's causing different things to happen, but they will get stuck in the body and then they can grow. And we see this in pathology, it keeps bumping into oxalate crystals in the breast and the thyroid and the glands and the bones and the joint spaces and go, hmm, interesting. And then doesn't really get pulled together as, oh, humans are accumulating oxalate pretty commonly.
0: All right, so we, we've got uh, this damaged uh, flora uh, gut lining that contributes to the increased absorption of the oxalates. And- Two common conditions that many people have, at least in this country, maybe not so much as a percentage of people watching this video, but uh, certainly pervasive in our culture, is uh, exposure to glyphosate. So if you're eating non-organic food, you're going to have glyphosate. There's just no question glyphosate causes a leaky gut. So that's one issue. And then if you have SIBO, small intestinal bowel overgrowth, that is going to contribute to it. Those are two very common conditions. And my guess is. We're looking at well over 50, 75% of the people in this country that have both of the one or two of both those conditions, and you may have a better estimate of that. So that's an issue. So if you fall into that group, then you're going to want to avoid foods with it. Some of the popular uh, typically perceived as healthy foods, like spinach smoothies or kale smoothies and almond milk. So why don't you go over some of the common misperceptions of these healthy foods and there are a risk of increasing your absorption of oxalates and the complications that involves.
1: Yeah, it really, dose makes the poison in toxicology. And we have selected now plants that are very high in oxalates' favorite foods in our culture. And it, it started back with our love with potatoes and peanuts. And these are fairly new foods that humans adopted and got especially popular uh, kind of in the era of the fast food movement where suddenly french fries are on the menu where they weren't before and then potato chips are on the menu and so like anybody could get into a thing with peanuts and potatoes but now we have this unproven theory that we need all these plant chemicals and somebody decided that green plant chemicals were the best and if it was green that's good enough and very kind of cursory crude distinctions about what we should be eating and not eating completely ignoring the whole toxicology of plants like oh plants are great and yet plants naturally have to be toxic to survive that's why you don't eat your bushes
0: yeah, you know well, let, let, me, let me interrupt here because we didn't mention i think it's important for people to understand that you adopted that that's why you got into trouble that you were a believer you yeah. were a vegetarian so why don't you share your story as your as your,
1: yeah so you know. i oh yeah and this. That's why I love that you're saying, you know, when you learned about it, it just didn't it click. It didn't click for me either. I was a gardener since I was a little kid and I loved my vegetables as a kid. And even as a little girl, my sister and I would go behind our garage and pick the raw rhubarb and the green beans and we'd serve each other. We'd play house and we'd lay out the table and we'd serve each other raw rhubarb. And then we'd get to go in for dessert and have rhubarb crisp. And then it was, beet greens and Swiss chard on the menu and beets growing up. And I was the one kid who really liked all that stuff. I love fruit and I love vegetables. I had a big appetite and I ate a lot of them. And man, I started getting problems as a 12 year old. And I, I started gardening as a nine year old and I was taught to grow Swiss chard, which is terrible with oxalates, beet greens and beets. They're all really high oxalate foods. Um, and so I was always into vegetables when I was all 18 or so and I went vegetarian and then eight years later I went vegan and did that for eight years and never really connected this diet pattern with the fact that I was having all this arthritis. In my 20s, I had so much arthritis. I had swollen hands and fingers most of the time. I had times when I could not get up and down the stairs without agonizing knee pain. I was a crippled, fluffed up mess. And I was the perfect healthy vegan who was going to yoga class and eating right and cooking wheat berries for breakfast and you know, bringing carrot sticks with me to work and all that stuff and eating out at the Mediterranean place and eating fava beans. (laughs) I didn't go to Burger King for lunch. I went to none of it was working out. I even taught vegetarian um, cooking in my job in the inner city. I was a health promotion specialist working with kids to keep them out of gangs and teaching them life skills. And I worked, I did all the nutrition programming there and I taught a whole free lunch program. The whole staff, I at a weekend retreat teaching them how to cook vegetarian food. I really believed in this stuff. It, it took a lot of illness for me to be forced off of eating beans and wheat as it was became more and more obvious I couldn't eat those. And thank goodness for the Weston Price Foundation who teaches the value of animal nutrition and the value of bone broth and things like that, that gave me a way out of my Stuck in this veggie mindset that I was in for so long.
0: Okay, yeah. So thank you for sharing that because I think it helps people appreciate that you're you're coming at this from a, a, a personal experience where you were really in deep weeds because you didn't appreciate the danger of oxalate. So I think maybe elaborate further on some of the symptoms you mentioned. Some of them and the calcium oxalate stones were one, of course, but that's. Uh, it pretty much is synonymous with kidney stones because over 80% of the kidney stones are calcium oxalate. It's not a rare, it's the most common stone.
1: Right. And it's getting more that way. It was in the sixties, it was more like 65% of stones were oxalate because there were so less stones. And as you add, the only stones that are really increasing are these oxalate stones. So the chances of your stone being oxalate is like pretty much guaranteed to yeah. be related to oxalate. So, and it's not just
0: kidney stones because no. micro, uh, Cal- I guess microcalcifications, of calcium oxalate, that contribute to kidney failure, which is becoming yep. epidemic. So that's a big issue. And thankfully, yep. you know, there's been a lot of good research published on the therapeutics of this, and I certainly want to talk about that in a bit too. And because whatever is useful to treat calcium oxalate stones is useful to get rid of these the oxalate accumulation that one has developed over decades, most likely, to get rid right. of that. It's a similar process. And there's about, there's about four basic mineral supplements that you can use, or at least three uh, that, yeah. that I think three or four that would be useful. But why don't you talk about uh, some of the symptoms and the, okay. common of the food, because we mentioned a few.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let's go back to the food and then uh, we'll talk about the symptoms. The uh, foods, Uh, The plants that really, uh, the places in the plants that make oxalate the best are seeds. So anything that's a seed is suspect. The only seed like things that are kind of low in oxalate are pumpkin seeds, watermelon seeds, sunflower, flax, coconut, and that's it, and oils because oxalate is technically a water soluble molecule. It's a very polar charge, and the charged molecules hang out in the water fraction. And when you extract an oil or a fat, you do not take with you the oxalate, so it could have been from a peanut. The oil's still low. Any olives are pretty high, but olive oil is low. So this is really simple. Okay, it's not in the animal foods, and it's not in the oils and fats, but it's in most things that are seeds. It's also in several green vegetables, namely just the spinach, the Swiss chard, and the beet greens. Those are really the bad ones. There's a couple of kales that are not so good, and collards are kind of medium bad, but most of the other like salad greens that don't have a little red Swiss charge and they're like the mixed greens that people like now, they're either getting all spinach or they're getting these baby mixes. Those baby mixes are loaded with little beet green leaves, little Swiss chard leaves and they're high oxalate, So it messes it up. But, but other salad like greens are, are low in oxalate, And that's a big mistake that clinicians make. They, they tell their patients quit eating greens and actually potatoes and peanuts and nuts and almonds and seeds. And certain spices and certain fruits are really high. Kiwi is high, clementine is high. Let's see, um, anjou pears, guava, figs, elderberries, apricots, blackberries, unripe avocados, whereas the ripe ones are pretty low. Uh, Star fruit is just plain old, so high it's really dangerous.
0: Wow. Glad you have that. What about moringa as a green vegetable?
1: I don't know if it's been tested. I don't recall seeing that number. And it requires somebody to to pay for the item and ship it and get it tested and catalog it and publish it. And we've been leaving the vulva pain foundation. That's the foundation that's been teaching about the fact that vulva pain and other pelvic pain issues are oxalate related for most people or good, who knows how many, because the research really isn't there for saying one way or the other about that, but it's very common and what they found, that group uh, working together and observing your own bodies and looking at the science of the connective tissue destruction, this reactive compound kind of trashes your basic building blocks of connective tissue. and interferes with the natural healing and recovery and repair that should be happening overnight. And that's particularly bad timing that we have to do our healing at night while we're sleeping. Because that's when you've already absorbed a whole day's worth of oxalate consumption, so your levels in the body are, can be very high at bedtime. Because it takes four to six hours to finish absorbing the oxalate, and that's four to six hours after dinner, and ten hours after lunch, and twelve hours after breakfast. You know, so the connective tissue issue—they found, they figured this out and saw fibromyalgia and uh, arthritis and kind of weakness in the tendons and stiffness and, and all these other there's hundreds we keep inventing new diseases and labels for things but basically these inflammatory connective tissue diseases are very much in this camp of what the, what's ox- oxalates doing to your body is causing a lot of inflammation causing a, a lot of free radical formation stressing tissues especially the vascular walls ending up in the various connective tissues and ultimately joint spaces and bones. It tends to gravitate towards the bones and the calcium sinks and gets stuck and hung up in tissues that can't defend itself, tissues that are in repair and recovery, tissues that are damaged or dying, and dying. And those cells don't have the power to produce enough glutathione and self-protection to manage the oxalate well. And those glycoproteins are where the oxalates get stuck. And so we tend to see oxalates keeping old injuries in place where you don't fully recover all the way. That's one symptom. Like you've got things that don't completely clear up. For me, it was my feet that didn't clear up for 37 years. I had to leave Cornell when I was getting my nutrition degree. As much as I wanted to finish the degree first and put myself last, I was forced to leave school and go get these feet dealt with. I just could not function anymore and had surgery and stayed out of school for four years because I wasn't getting better. I was still growing Swiss chard even in college. I've been such a gardener. I brought my gardening habit with me to college. (laughs) I'm still voicing myself in Swiss chard and getting weird vulva symptoms and arthritis and fatigue and difficulty focusing and cognitive because there's a lot of neurological neurotoxicity that interferes with cognitive function and sleep. And fast forward years later to 2009, when I did learn about the vulva pain foundation and connected about a vulva pain that I had to my diet a bit. Uh, But it took me, like you, I just didn't get it. And it took me more years of flipping around and what was complete disability. I could no longer work I quit my job as a grant writer in public health and basically was sofa bound I had to have a hysterectomy and they took everything out there was endometriosis in there the ovaries were trash it was a big mess but I didn't recover well from that and my uh, my endocrinologist sent me off to the sleep lab because he said you your bloods look fine. You're eating great. You look awesome by, by way of blood tests, but obviously you can't read or function or exercise. And I was surprised to see that my nervous system was so toxic that my brain was waking up 29 times an hour. And this became my big, like, oh my God, I have to fix this brain waking up 29 times an hour with this sort of periodic limb movement stuff going on. That's an example of this the degree of neurotoxicity. And I I thought based on my reading in the literature that that brain toxicity was coming from SIBO. Even though I tested negative for SIBO, I thought, well, I have to fix the gut problem because I've had these gut problems since 1990. I developed irritable bowel syndrome and then eventually it turned into chronic constipation, which is very common amongst us oxalate poison people. Is because part of what's going on there is those nerves and muscles are almost paralyzed. They've, they've lost their control where the sphincters aren't working as well. The muscle tone in the colon is not functioning well because this constant stream of oxalates coming in three times a day or more uh, is really mucking with colon health. So it looks like it looks like you have SIBO, or you probably do, because of all the antibiotics. And then, of course, one thing you didn't mention earlier that I was thinking—you know—these emulsifiers in our in our standard foods are eroding away the mucus layer. So the mucus layer is another layer of protection that we've lost, it increases our absorption of oxalate. So. A lot of us get into situations where the gut has been degraded by oxalates, by the glyphosate, by the bad food, by who knows. And so we're absorbing too much of it. It's getting caught up and causing these patterns of inflammation. Because wherever you get cell distress, you've got the cells leaking their contents, including potassium, by the way, which tells the immune system to come in. And you start training the inflammasome system and the innate immune system to be on perpetually, and you end up with these symptom patterns that we call autoimmune disease. It looks like you've got five or six autoimmune diseases, but you know you're just kind of they say, well, it looks like you got RA or rheumatoid arthritis, or it looks like you're you're on your way to lupus. Those were things they, you know, I was all this stuff they were telling me. Um, so. In my own quest to deal with the sleep problem, I realized I had to get my gut healthy. And I had already tried everything. I'm, I'm in the kind of know-it-all category, working in my field of integrative health and public health and been in nutrition forever. So I'd already tried everything. I was getting really desperate. So I went back back around to, all right, I'll try some lettuce and celery smoothies plus some kiwi because kiwi is supposed to help you with constipation. If I could get that straight, I could cure this sleep problem, which had stopped my life. I could not even read the mail anymore. I could not exercise. I couldn't function. And so it was really a high priority. This At this point, we're in 2013. I had learned in 20, uh, 10 years ago in 09 that oxalates were trouble, but I was willing to put kiwi back in my diet because I needed to deal with the sleep problem. I had no idea after experimenting with this diet from 2009, 10, 11, and so on. And it started like, eh, well, whatever. I don't have all the pain. It lasted only a few weeks. So this is not my issue. My issue is my sleep. I had never connected the two, but fast forward to 2013. I finally, saw that trying this kiwi experiment was bringing back this arthritis that i had during my vegan years where I, I was laying in bed at night swollen hands and crippled up and in so much pain it was like oh can i sleep at all you know it's it like I'm, and it's dawning on me the kiwi and the arthritis were connected i was getting stiffer and stiffer this is another symptom where you're connected to it's almost like the fascia is tightening down into this stiff, unflexible stuff. And I think that's uh, electrolyte problems helping to create that. And it suddenly was obvious to me that I had put back the oxalate by using the kiwi and the celery. And I was now back to arthritis. And, and I was like, oh man, now I have to do this oxalate diet for this arthritis. And lo and behold, in about 10 days, I'm reading the mail. I can tell I'm sleeping better everything is getting better and i was like wait a minute that was a vulva pain thing i thought it was you know like it became clear that my all of my problems with my and then six months later my feet are totally fine i have not been able to go barefoot or run or jump or play or imagine playing tennis or anything my feet could never do that since my surgery since i was about 18 years old when the pain started I could not do any of those things. I couldn't go barefoot in my own house for more than a half an hour. And all of a sudden I'm wearing high heels and doing fine. Now I'm, I can run in bare feet on a rock road. And so my, the weird thing is like I had, you know, a hundred things wrong with me and it turns out the the centerpiece with oxalate, which boiled my brain, I just couldn't like, how could this be? And so that's why I've <laughs> been digging around the literature to try to make sense out of what I'm seeing in myself and everyone I'm working with.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Just a few questions for follow-up. I'm wondering if oxalate, you mentioned there's a connection between that inflammation in the body. And I wondered if you actually have, uh, it causes documented increases in laboratory uh, values like uh, C-reactive protein. Well. And- uh, and also, let me two questions, and you can go on. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, we know that lectins, I think you were on Dr. Gundry's podcast about this, if I'm not mistaken. And lectins are well-established, at least by Gundry, to contribute to autoimmune disease. And I'm wondering, I mean, they're different. It's a different molecule completely. They're much larger. Lectin is not an oxalate. Oxalate's a really, really tiny molecule, two carbons. So, but I wonder if the mechanisms are somewhat similar. I mean, they're both from plants, but it you know, doesn't mean it's the same mechanism.
1: Well, the mechanism is that, you know, the lectins and oxalate are going to gang up on you and plants have many other chemicals too. And in my research, it looks like the main target of plant chemicals that are aggressive and harmful to us is the gut. So we're seeing gut damage from lectins. I did that to myself. I was Stupid me. I have a degree in nutrition from an Ivy League university, but I didn't know that if you slow cook your beans, you're preserving all those nasty lectins and you're ruining your digestive tract. And that really was why I got post-infectious irritable bowel, because during that time I had been doing slow cooking mixed beans in my slow cooker at night and eating them as a convenient breakfast uh, while I was working in the inner city in Cleveland. I know it was the lectins that got me set up for that. Lectins are going to create that leaky damage and make you vulnerable to infection and absorbing oxalate. So they matter a lot, but it's very different mechanisms in the body. Lectins are attaching to proteins and interfering with function. Oxalate crystals are basically these nanocrystals and ions are the most toxic forms. The bigger ones that later on you can see in the microscope and, and the kidney stones, they're actually less toxic than the little ones. The little ones are nanocrystals are known to interfere with the charge on cells. It depolarizes cell membranes and starts disabling the functions of membranes, which means your mitochondria stop working. So the, the oxalate slows down the mitochondrial ability to produce energy and will when there's enough there, start killing off the mitochondria. It takes about a third of the mitochondria to kill a whole cell. So the oxalates are the same toxicity as asbestos. Mm-hmm. The, the nanocrystals of asbestos and oxalate have basically the same level of harm. It's just that we don't eat asbestos three times a day and call it health food.
0: Well, we usually inhale it, so that's why it causes uh, eucalyptus and we're not inhaling oxalates, obviously. We're ingesting them. But so, you
1: can yeah. inhale oxalates in pollution because the acid rain in these big cities actually includes a fair amount of oxalic acid and oxalates. So, and oxalates are known to be a cause of lung failure and lung disease, either from the outside or the inside. Because when we absorb oxalates from food, it goes from the digestive tract to that the circulatory system in the digestive tract shunts everything straight to the liver, so all the oxalate you absorb will mess with the liver, go through the liver, and then it travels two inches up to get to the heart, and passing through the diaphragm and probably affecting the vagus nerve as well, and then from the heart it goes to the lungs. So it's a very short trip from your small intestines to your lungs when you're an oxalate crystal. So it's it's quite possible if you're vulnerable in the lungs oxalate kind of gets you where you're vulnerable. So it looks very different from person to person because for some people, it's just kidney stones. For some people, it's arthritis. For some people, it's neurological deficits. For some people, it's the lungs. For some of us, it's a whole bunch of stuff, but that involve connective tissue and inflammation and immune system activation.
0: Well, well, let me, let's add another common disease that's becoming ever more prevalent, and that's heart failure, heart arrhythmias. Uh, oh, yeah. and mitochondrial dysfunction, which you alluded to, because that's really a central core of most all chronic disease. And, and yes, it's killing off some mitochondria, but I think it's, it appears to be impairing many of them contributing to our mitochondrial dysfunction, and that is clearly something you don't want. So you talk about the, the contribution to heart failure, heart arrhythmias. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. This is really fascinating. Another thing that's really now being talked about in the literature is endothelial disorders or generalized endothelial distress. Well, endothelial cells are the cells that line everything, including your vascular system. And of course, oxalates floating around your vascular system and takes a pretty long trip to get to the kidneys. So in the meantime, as it's bouncing around through the blood, It's messing with your vascular system and causing micro-irritation and literal injury to those cells. So you set up the the notice for vascular problems with that. Now, oxalates are grabbing minerals and changing your minerals. So it's taking calcium out of the blood right from the beginning and probably other minerals as well. It also has the potential to take the place of the normal uh, chelator that would hold iron in your transferrin that's going to deliver your iron. And now we don't know how much it's doing this, how well it's displacing this, but we do see problems in the autism group that there's a lot of anemia and and functional anemia where the blood has got a lot of ferritin, probably trying to make more iron for the cells that are asking for it and can't get it because maybe oxalate is interfering with delivery. But back to the vascular health, you're going to see arrhythmia well what we see in actual people with this problem people who are kind of post-keto where they've been doing the almond bread a lot and doing spinach smoothies a lot these are the kind of people who come to me ex-vegans and ex-keto dieters they are getting attacks of heart rates of 130 150 they're getting attacks of arrhythmias and heart jumping around and just Really frightening things. A few of them get hospitalized and they're seeing T wave inversions. So, as the oxalates are moving in, in this case, people have stopped eating the almond bread and the spinach smoothies. And what we're doing is we're reversing the direction. And now the body is so ready to be done with the oxalate that's gotten stuck in all these tissues that it starts removing too much at one time. And you get localized acidosis, you get effects in the blood, you get effects in the heart rate. And we see this electrolyte disturbance, which involves a continued wasting of potassium and other minerals. So we have to keep re-adding these minerals and also a sort of almost like tissue dehydration. So I really like to push salt, potassium, calcium, and magnesium to help manage this, this sort of flushing. It looks like we're flushing out a lot of these Minerals, especially potassium, from muscle cells and bone cells, where potassium belongs. Potassium isn't going to be elsewhere, but it, we definitely see it clinically, so to speak, um, from all of us who are recovering from having overdone the almonds and spinach. Well,
0: wait, wait Let's just finish up on some of these other symptoms, but some other conditions that would be more appropriate.
1: Uh-huh. So, uh,
0: with respect to the damage to the endothelial system, you know, there's no. I suspect that it also could, even though I haven't seen it documented anywhere, it's very clear from the pathology of it, or the the, the physiology of it, that it's going to damage the capillary system. And right. one of the most devastating symptoms of, older, of being elderly is losing your muscle mass, or something called sarcopenia. And it's typically related to a loss of capillary density around the type two muscle fiber, sa- muscle cell, like stem cells. And when that t- gets depleted, you just can't grow any mus- muscle. So I'm s- sure I'm confident it's damaging that. In addition to osteoporosis, I mean, osteoporosis is widely recognized, as a PLS cell, so. but it's causing both. You decrease mo- bone density and muscle density. So, I mean, it's just a de- prescription for devastation when you're elderly. Uh, yep. That's why you've got to nope. address it. And the first food lesson, which I want you to talk about now is your diet. you gotta, you can't keep on loading your body up with this stuff. You've gotta stop it. In my case, you know, I was eating sweet potatoes because they're a healthy source of good carbs, but they're loaded. Me (laughs) too. All the the potatoes are, there's no potato that's not high in oxalate. So get rid of the potatoes, any form. Uh, And uh, you know, not using oxalate, I mean, uh, sweet potatoes, carrots, um, and I had seeds, sesame seeds, I have, still have still seeds, sesame seeds, uh, and uh, what was it? Well, black black cumin seeds. But uh, I stopped those, you know, I, so I radically reduced it, and then I'm also I do have some sources of it, but you can use some of the interventions which we'll talk about shortly, like calcium citrate, which is particularly useful at binding the cal- the oxalic acid so it does in your gut so you don't absorb it. But yep. so the foods, why don't you give us a comprehensive strategy and talk about the resources on your site that are available to help people understand the foods they need to target and what your experience shows is to be the most common offenders.
1: Yeah. Okay. So turning this around, you have to make a decision that you're willing to walk away from groupthink because everybody around you thinks that plants are so great and you need the spinach smoothies all the time and It's not working so if you're willing to actually get some facts that are science-based then i've got a lot of free information on my website but keep in mind that the way i understand one of the major mechanisms is this something that it's called the uh, trigger and maintenance theory of the uh, oxalate accumulation in the body the body is actually really smart and it's holding on to oxalate because it's trying to protect you from that, you know, that heart arrhythmia that we just talked about and all that vascular damage. The body, the, the non-vascular system, the, that, the rest of the body is willing to sacrifice in order to keep the vascular system well because it needs the healthy capillaries, it needs healthy blood, it needs a heart that's still pumping. So if you've got too much oxalate in your blood, the other cells will deliberately imbibe it or take it or hold on to it is a temporary deal. We'll make a few sacrifices here in the elbow or wherever we need to do this so that it's probably in the diaphragm. The diaphragm hiccups, by the way, are a bad sign. Uh, So
0: many people have have chronic hiccups and no concept of what's causing it. It
1: was killing me. I was eating sweet potatoes for breakfast and I'd have them for dinner with them Swiss chard a few nights a week and at bedtime, I would have attacks of a combination of belching and hiccups that felt like I was cracking ribs. It was so painful and horrible and quite disgusting to me. And I never knew that uh, hiccups is a neurotoxicity symptom. that The vagus nerve and the whole diaphragm is being flipped out by being poisoned. And it makes sense now, but... I had to read this in the literature that shows one of the last symptoms before the rats die or the humans die from oxalic acid poisoning is hiccups. I'm like, <laughs> God. like every night I had the last symptom, no wonder my my health fell apart. So it's possible to really, really make yourself toxic with oxalate. And people we cling to this idea that we're so noble for eating plants and smoothies and vegetarians. You have to move past that and and try this. But my point is that the body's holding on to oxalate meant to be temporary. Every tissue that's holding oxalate so wants it to be gone. And you give it that opportunity when you stop eating oxalates. But but there can be so much already on board. If that stuff starts all moving at the same time, you could release oxalate from tissues at a level that's more toxic than the sweet potato and spinach smoothie and Swiss chard dinner that was nearly killing me with my hiccup attacks. So we have to be careful about how quickly and how we go about um, moving into the reversing the door. So if, if this was a revolving door of oxalates coming in, coming in, coming in for decades, now you want to stop that. You're going to reverse the flow. The body doesn't hold still. It's ready to clean up and recover and repair. But we don't want to traumatize the body because it seems like trauma encourages a sudden release of oxalate and it could be that there's some kind of electromagnetic system that's holding the oxalate storage system in place and a a trauma seems to allow the body to suddenly kind of upchuck and release and try to expel oxalate too quickly so when you're making your change don't feel pressure to do it perfectly and don't try to do it all at the same time pick foods like Swiss chard that you totally can live without and get rid of the spinach smoothies. It's a waste of your time and money. Get rid of the bullet. You know, there are simple things you can do to start lowering your oxalate. Pick the foods, the high foods that you don't need in your life and then eventually get down to the chocolate and cut that too. So there's stuff on my website. You can get a beginner's guide that explains the basics. It has a graphic that shows, you know, your spinach smoothie is 20 times what your level of oxalate should be on a whole day's intake. And it has a list of uh, the safe of, you know, a shortened list of safe bet foods and the worst offender foods that you've got to start um, cutting back on and eventually eliminating altogether.
0: Yeah, you had mentioned you didn't mention the dark chocolate earlier, but that was another common, uh typically highly perceived beneficial food, primarily because of all the great polyphenols in there. But yeah. uh, Paul Saladino actually makes a pretty good, good, strong, solid argument that that may not be cracked up to. All that it is meant to be. And certainly, it doesn't address the oxalic acid. So yeah,
1: I, I have to agree with Paul that the net, he talks about the net benefit isn't there. Like, there's so many strikes against these plant chemicals that this fantasy that polyphenols are really preventing disease has really never been proven. And it's not a good bet because we, we've done what Kale Newport calls a benefits only mindset. That benefits only mindset is, oh, well, some researcher did this to rats and it really helped the rats. So I got to have that because our culture is like, add more, need more, add, 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 add. And this whole philosophy of understanding how toxins are harming us and how um, basically hormesis really works in the body is really about taking away, you know, and you can achieve stimulation of antioxidant effects in the body and self-healing effects with exercise and cryotherapy and sauna and just, you know, so many other ways to stimulate the power of self-healing. People don't realize that the plant chemicals are stimulating your own ability to heal, but you cannot heal if you're toxic. I mean, the two main causes of disease are toxicity and nutrient deficiency. Oxalate is causing both nutrient deficiency and, and it is trashing B vitamins as well as minerals. So you're losing both B vitamins and minerals and you're it's very toxic. It is a poison. So oxalate is in these foods and it's, it's fundamentally messing with the basics of metabolism that allows tissue cover, recovery and repair, allows growth and uh, flourishing. And we think we can put up with that for the sake of more plant toxins like the polyphenols and that, that, that's a good deal. It's not a good deal.
0: Well, let, let's finish up on the diet and then go some of the supplements because I think that's the next important step. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other seeds I neglected to mention I had removed. That's because I removed it earlier based on the lectin content that Gundry had identified. Was the chia seeds, which are enormously high in, in oxoids. So that's out. But one of we, we talked about Paul Saladino who is obviously well best known for his uh, approach with carnivore, and he's done that relatively recently. I interviewed him previously on a podcast, uh, and you have actually personally adopted the carnivore diet because as you mentioned earlier, oxalates are not in animal products for the most part. They're just not there. So maybe you can share with us your experience because you've only done it for a few months now, I believe. And how it's going to happen.
1: Well, because um, one of the trailing things that I'm still working on, uh, or was, was this digestive health issue. Digestive health is very hard to really fully recover if you've, paralyze your muscles and you have scar tissue on the outside from endometriosis and you have dysbiosis and we don't have really a good way to repair dysbiosis, but really letting the body work it out and providing an environment that's not too stressful. But with oxalate, the body is excreting oxalate in so many directions. The kidney takes on the bulk of the work along with the bladder and the rest of the urinary tract, but the body can expel oxalates through the colon and continue to cause more colon stress. And maybe even that uh, is a as the oxalates leaving is still harming the colon, but the colon is helping the kidneys because often that'll click in when there's acidosis or when the kidneys are stressed. And by the way, I mean, this is not quite what we want to talk about here, but the, the removal process the body goes through sometimes includes pushing entire crystals straight out through the skin. And certainly you can feel it in sweat sometimes, and you can see it in the grit that's forming in the eyes and the grit that forms in the mouth. Some people get gritty mucus. This is all seeming to be part of the release of the oxygen in the body. So the body can literally push whole crystals out, which is better. But so with the colon health problem I was having, I kept seeing, I kept seeing allergy intolerance and colon intolerance to a lot of plant food. So I had already worked my way down to eating lemon juice because citric acid sits on crystals and helps weaken the bonds in the crystals and make them quite easy to come apart. And citric acid protects your kidneys and is a great way to dissolve kidney stones. A Half a cup of lemon juice a day and a low oxalate diet will just help your kidneys release all this oxalate painlessly. You start peeing out all your kidney problems without pain. So I was using a lot of lemon juice, four or so lemons a day, and eating coconut products and coconut water, often from fresh young coconuts is so sometimes... Uh, bottled or dried coconut and very little else for like a year. And then in uh, April 1st, I dropped the lemons and a few more supplements I was taking like vitamin E and so on and dropped the coconut products for a while. And that really does help the colon function. It really does help the colon repair and recover. And it's such a nice elimination diet where you get down to such a narrow range of food that It starts telling you more things and I found coming off the lemons helped with some inflammation that I was having around the face and neck area where I was looking old and puffy and droopy and uh, that seems to be, I developed intolerance to lemons. I think this is part of this innate immune system that's just whacked out from all this oxalate exposure. It's hyper reactive to a lot of stuff. So a lot of us with oxalate problems do that. So I went full carnivore. I myself think that the mitochondrial and metabolic damage that's happening from the oxalates is also being promoted by uh, PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fatty acids of which I didn't have a lot in my diet, but some of us still need some sugars in the diet to keep the mitochondria happy. So I'm back to, I need some maple syrup and some mangoes and a little bit of uh, carbs in there to keep my legs from cramping up with low muscle glycogen. So I still love uh, a high fat diet. I eat a lot of beef fat and pork fat and uh, really enjoy a meat center diet. And I think it's a fabulous elimination diet that can help us then figure out how to back in, bring back into the diet as much as you wish to low oxalate foods like lettuce and apples and uh, coconut stuff and some rice or some blueberries or something like that, things that you might want in your diet that there's a whole lot of vegetables in the cabbage family. If, you're, if your digestive tract likes them, rutabagas and turnips, and those have resistant starch in them and so on and can be useful if you believe in that, but that's a different microbiome. This is another reason though, why transitioning from a high oxalate diet to a low oxalate diet, to maybe even all the way down to the carnivore-style elimination diet you it, it need to be gradual because if you create a big microbiome die off, you're just going to feel sick from that as well. And when the oxalates start coming out, that makes you feel sick. And that's another reason why we need the supplements. So the supplements include calcium citrate. That's before, we citrate. Go, before we go to the
0: supplements, let me, let's just finish off on the diet first. Okay. And one other symptom. Um, the... Uh, you mentioned the fruits and uh, interestingly, mangoes you mentioned too. And I actually have about a half a dozen mango trees. And this year they've been prolific in harvesting. For I think the last month I've been having like three mangoes a day for my own property. Cool. And there's like no oxalates in mangoes, which is great. Yeah, they're really low. It's yeah, about the lowest you can get. But one of the other symptoms that, that we didn't talk about, there's so many of them that I think so many people have. And I certainly did. Was tartar on my teeth? I always wondered yeah. what this tartar was. So, everything I tried, I couldn't get it down. No, I always have tartar. I got to go clean every three months, and uh, yeah. apparently that's oxalate. Another sim- symptom involved, and um, yeah, you can come on that. And then we'll go to the supplement because I really, you know, the want you to talk about the four big ones: potassium citrate, calcium citrate, potassium bicarb, and and yeah. the.
1: Yes, yeah, so this oral thing the facing is really interesting because i most of us have oxalates in the face and the teeth. you can get uh basically kidney stones in your salivary glands, and of course, the salivary glands, if they 're helping with this excretion process, not only did you have tartar when you were eating a lot of oxalate, but after you go on the diet, you can get these periods where the tartar starts coming back a little bit, and that 's a sign that your body's cleaning out. You also can get um, sinus. Uh, pain from it cleaning out is the sinuses, the eyes, the teeth, the jaw, the salivary glands, all that whole system is very prone to oxalate as our fingers and toes and feet, uh, joints in general. So yeah, it's really interesting how oxalate are wrecking your teeth. So some of my followers was like, "Ooh, I was getting cavities on my vegan diet. And now they turn it around, start eating meat and quit the oxalates and their teeth stop having cavities. The, the dentition gets firmer, the, the uh, enamel improves, the tartar problem goes away and we're back to his cleanings every six months.
0: (laughs) It's great. Yeah. Chris Masterjohn had that problem. I interviewed him in the past because he was a former vegetarian vegan and uh, developed significant uh, dental problems as a result. So let's talk about the supplements because I think they're key. And the good thing is they're not very expensive. These are simple mineral salts that you can easily add and buy them in bulk and powder. I buy them in bulk powders, and I think at some point you are probably going to have a offer a combination just to make it easier for people. But uh, I think that'd be is, nice. Yeah, this would be nice because we as as know, we need to improve that. Yeah, there's no combination that exists out there. Because yeah, no one understands this.
1: Yeah, nobody understands it. There's a lot of room to do that, and uh, of course. Every person, because most of us, by the time we're willing to do low oxalates, we got problems. And so each person has a slightly different level of tolerance for how much calcium citrate they want, how much magnesium citrate, how much potassium citrate. Sodium, uh, like real salt is another important supplement to have. And then the the bicarbs, especially the potassium bicarb. uh, We need to address the acidosis attacks that happen. So people go through these waves of feeling ill again as their body starts pushing out oxalate because when you stop eating oxalate that doesn't fix your oxalate problem in the short run because you're still full of oxalate so here you are loaded with oxalate you're toxic with oxalate even though you stopped eating them it's just that acute phases that were occurring post part post meal aren't there anymore but you're going to have some other phases that are often circadian in nature where you have waves of not feeling good and so we want to be aware that some of what's going on there is a form of acidosis, which is surprising to me because, you know, it's real easy to say, oh, acid-base, whatever. But this is literally a chemical reason why you get acidosis locally, and it spreads off into systemic symptoms of feeling poorly. And so the combination of lemon juice, by the way, and bicarbs, one lemon, about a quarter cup of lemon and about an eighth teaspoon of sodium bicarb and an eighth teaspoon of potassium bicarb or is, makes a lovely Alka-Seltzer gold made with natural citric acid from the lemon. So we like to use lemon juice if you can as a major therapeutic supplements because the citric acid in lemons is natural. Unfortunately, the citric acid in uh, foods and supplements is a manufactured citric acid that is made from molasses and sugars using a black mold called aspergillus. Mm. Aspergillus is a very toxic mold that produces a lot of oxalate and a lot of other chemicals. And it's quite possible that manufactured citric acid might have traces of chemicals or something that some people are sensitive to. Um, So you got to be aware that not every person can take manufactured citric acid a lot for a long period of time because some people might have, I haven't seen it a lot, but it's a concern that we need to find a better source of manufactured citric acid than something coming from aspergillus. But
0: then you have to balance that too with potential uh, allerg developing allergies like you did yourself did with the lemons taking four lemons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: anything that you're using over and over and over again, if you've got an immune system like mine, it's like ready for action every second of the day, then you're, it's real easy to, to create allergy. You know, My system thinks it's allergic to like three kinds of fish and everything with feathers and most of the vegetable can, it's crazy. And that's not fun because it just makes you feel so bad, and it's very inconvenient for travel and so on to be so picky about what goes in your body. So, yeah, well,
0: um, well, let's get into these, the, the, these powder supplements again because I think mm-hmm. they're really key. So, you've got calcium citrate, potassium citrate, magnesium citrate. And you yeah. said you mentioned an eighth of a teaspoon. I'm personally doing about a quarter teaspoon three times a day on there.
1: Well, that I just that's mentioned the that's, the, that's that. for the Alka Seltzer Gold remedy. Yeah. I take. Um, I take a a lot for myself but everyone has to work up slowly don't start these changes either with the supplements or with the diet too abruptly because too fast is too shocking to a system that's relatively fragile because you've got this oxalate be gentle and and move in titrate in now you may not see as much a dramatic reaction if you really want to see a dramatic action reaction and hurt yourself, (laughs) go too fast, but start little, but you want to work up to, if you can tolerate it, a gram to 1200 milligrams of calcium citrate. And with magnesium, I think it's common to want about 400, 500 milligrams a day. Again, depending, bowel tolerance is one of the ways that you adjust these up and down. How much can your colon take of either one? Some people feel calcium can sometimes be constipating and want less. I'm kind of on the low end. I don't take a lot of calcium citrate. I take a lot of magnesium citrate and uh, potassium. The RDA is 4,700 milligrams, but the powder is so important because you can really get more in more easily in different ways if you But if you overdo the citric acid supplements, citrate supplements, some people start to get a little stomach problems. So sometimes taking it in discrete doses around mealtime is helpful because you can get more of it in without bothering your stomach. And again, that's really variable. But I say work up to at least half the RDA in potassium. And if you're having acidotic or a lot of symptoms, then use natural citric acid if you can tolerate the lemons or use a lot more potassium citrate Um, The bicarb is wonderful because it's not citric acid and it is um, also alkalizing as is the citric acid and the minerals. So all of this helps with alkalization. You're you're replacing the minerals and you're also providing that citric acid which protects your kidneys and other tissues from oxalate uh, accumulation and damage. So they're really helpful. You wanna take as much as you can tolerate because the more the merrier when it comes to the minerals. I think a general liquid mineral for a broad spectrum is really good and taking salt to help pull hydration and pull potassium back into the bones and the muscles. A lot of us, if you've got any muscle knots like fibromyalgia pains, that's the potassium deficiency showing up in the muscles where they end up in chronic rigor and you get hypoxia from the poor circulation going on there. And the potassium, if you've got enough potassium, that will disappear completely in about five or six weeks.
0: Yeah. Let, let me just comment on the potassium citrate uh, and why i recommend it to powders is because if you're going to buy it as a capsule, you are limited to like, I think it's 10, some ridiculous 99, 99,
1: 99 milligrams,
0: milligrams. milligrams, right. You know, essentially a 10th of a gram, which is like ridiculous. You Three percent of your And the reason this is done is because of fear that a very small segment of the population, those with renal failure, likely due to like, oxalate exposure, uh, right. they cannot tolerate excess potassium. They will die from excess potassium. So it's very yep. dangerous. So so that's why it's limited, and there is no yep. supplement in the United States that you can nope. buy from the market outside of a powder that's more than 100 milligrams. So that's why you want to get the powders because. I mean, uh, you take a, an, a quarter of a teaspoon and you're getting a thousand milligrams. You have to swallow 10 capsules to get that. I
1: think it's more like 500, 450 milligrams kidding. for okay. a quarter
0: teaspoon. Okay, for yeah. four, Sorry, I was off it's on It's about that.
1: 450. I've, I have measured it over and over again and use my uh, scientific scale to try to get this about right. And yeah, so a whole quarter, but you know, and that little capsule is full of magnesium stearate and all that. And the bulk supplements are supposed to be free of fillers because they don't need to fill the tap. And it's just gives you, but sometimes both is good because those capsules travel really well. You can put them in a little baggie or a little, a little container and keep it with you in the car, keep some with you in somewhere so that it's, easy to, to mix it up. I, I personally use both. I use about six little capsules plus I drink it all day long. Uh, um, that's a good
0: all the idea. All time
1: in the powder, in my water. I have salt and potassium bicarb, potassium citrate always in my drinking. water.
0: Well, speak to this because almost everyone watching this, nearly every single person, unless they're just having enormous amounts of vegetables, is deficient in potassium. I mean, it's the rare person who's getting the recommended RDA of four grams a day, four thousand milligrams. It just doesn't happen 47. It's and not 4. happening. 5 grams. It's
1: actually the number one deficiency is potassium and it's the one supplement that's basically illegal to take because some people at a stage four renal failure will be in big trouble in the in the ER or in the ICU and therefore no one should take potassium. It's brilliant.
0: <laughs> and what's your what's your view on the ability to utilize the potassium from a supplement versus taking it from food. Oh, I, you know, you 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 have to
1: eat a lot of mushrooms and a lot of I guess avocados are pretty good with potassium. Yeah, okay. And if wow. you wow. make sure you preserve all your meat juices, so you know you can do careful things with your meat to make sure you don't lose that potassium. But it, it takes a, it's really hard to get enough potassium from food. And and for our condition, the what's happening with the oxalates is it's so distressing cells coming as it's coming out it was doing it going in but especially coming out it's coming out of tissues distressing cells the cells get leaky and the muscle and bone cells literally leak their potassium and then of course it doesn't belong in interstitial fluid between the cells or in the bloodstream and it's quickly washed away because even kidneys that are full of oxalate know how to get rid of potassium you have to be quite sick to be unable to rinse that out. So the body's probably rinsing out this potassium constantly because of inflammation. It doesn't have to be from oxalate causing this inflammation. Anytime a cell is in distress, it's going to lose potassium. And so at the deep cellular level, this is why one major unacknowledged reason why osteopenia and osteoporosis is such a big problem and why so many people have sarcopenia and have a trouble with a muscle strength as they get older and you know time will keep wearing you out if you're not aware that you're flushing out potassium with all these inflammatory things we're doing in our lifestyle and ironically it's your spinach salad doing it
0: and what's the effectiveness of the mineral salts the potassium calcium and magnesium citrate at a, at binding to the oxalate in your food because it's not like you have to go on a zero-oxalate diet. In fact, it's very, very difficult to do. I mean, there's a certain threshold. You, know, you like to keep it below 50 milligrams, 100 milligrams. But even if you had foods with their higher, like I like macadamia nuts, which is the lowest nut available in at um, uh, least a documented one. And that, and that brings up another point, too, that I want you to address, is that there's a lot of lists out there. People you, you <laughs> going online trying to find the level of oxalates in food and be careful because it's going to confuse the heck out of you because a lot of the research was done incorrectly and if you look up macadamia for instance you'll find they're one of the highest but when you go to the actual studies of the, of the validated research, it's just the lowest so it's really easy to get confused on this and that's why you're such a pioneer and a important uh, person in this area to help bring uh clarity to it because there's so much confusion out there
1: Yeah, well, so thank you for that. That's nice to get acknowledged for the effort to save my fellow sufferers. I was like, when I realized what was getting me, I was like, oh my gosh, there's nobody can help anybody out there because none of the doctors or chiropractors or nobody knows about us. Somebody's got to ring a bell here and, and help us, those of us who are willing to listen. And it's fabulously rewarding to be helping people pull their lives back together. So in terms of using these minerals to help you um, avoid absorbing more. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea to an extent. There has been absorption studies, which are difficult to do well, so you we always wanna wonder how well they're done. But there have been absorption studies that demonstrate that by having dairy products and other forms of calcium with a meal that has a fair amount of oxalates, you definitely absorb a lot less because that that binding of the, oxalate, the soluble oxalates to calcium will start happening in the food itself, in the stomach and so on. But we do get absorption right away. Any mucous membrane can absorb some oxalate. So if it has a lot of free oxalate that's not attached to fibers or required deep digestion or chewing to get liberated, you can literally start absorbing oxalate in the mouth. So, um, and the stomach and so on. And there's a, a, a six hour period after you've eaten where most of the oxalates are getting absorbed. So it's pretty high up in the digestive tract. But the, the studies do show that. I mean, I think this is why spinach used to be creamed spinach, and why cheese is on so many vegetables. If you think about classic vegetable dishes, a lot of them have either a cream sauce or a cheese sauce, or you know, which can be both. So it, it is helpful, like, to do that. And maybe people who added milk to their tea probably tolerated their tea a lot better because the tea is all soluble oxalate, and it's a fair amount of oxalate. But After you stop eating oxalate, if you do get really low, a low oxalate diet is defined as 50 milligrams a day or less, which is you have to know what you're doing. You do need good food tables or need to move towards carnivore, get clear about mangoes are good and certain apples aren't and certain grapes are very bad. Like Concord grape juice is really high and yet skinless uh, red and red grapes are pretty low. Uh, so you have to learn that and that takes a little patience and so be willing to be patient with that because the internet is full of those mistakes but we're taking the calcium citrate because of that colon excretion process so as your body gets these waves of release there's a certain degree of overwhelm and acidosis will happen that will encourage the colon to start removing oxalate and if it if it's greeted by calcium in the lumen side in the space of the colon then excreting oxalate actually works. It can kick out an oxalate, calcium's there to grab it. And more of that's going to, now it can't float back right in. If if there's nothing to grab it. And if what's being shunted across these cells is a soluble form of oxalate or just small, it can float right back in with passive transport for having calcium as the binder in the colon. We're taking it not to absorb it. So, One of the tricks about finding a good calcium citrate supplement is finding one with no vitamin D in it. Vitamin D encourages absorption, but what we're really taking the calcium for is to populate the digestive tract to help be a magnet to help the body release oxalate from the tissues.
0: Yeah. So does calcium work somewhat better than some of the others? And then also speak to the importance of not just taking it once a day because as you mentioned, you want it continuously coating your colon so it's there as a magnet in, in your excretion phase when you are having a lot of oxalates in your diet and you're actually eliminating the but you want that calcium there to bind to it. So speak to that and then also, it's, uh, it's, if it's significantly better than the magnesium or potassium, at least binding in that setting.
1: Yeah. The potassium, we're not taking it as a binder. The the magnesium has a similar power to calcium to bind. It's a little weaker bond, but it's good enough for physiological conditions. And uh, that may be partly why everyone seems to be so deficient in, in magnesium because of the oxalate grabbing magnesium. Not a lot of studies with that. But one thing that's really clear is that the periods of of excretion of oxalate have some kind of circadian pattern to it. The, the man who did the science that helped the Volva Pain Foundation get established and then and understand what's going on with thousands and thousands of people saw the circadian pattern in the urine. So he would take measure the amount of oxalates in each void of urine throughout the day and each person that he tested would have one or two, he said mostly it was two, but some people it's just one, out of, let's say you do eight voids a day, two of the eight would be really high, outrageously high in oxalate, and the others were kind of okay. Um, and So that's telling us that excretion is happening on a certain pattern, and each person, by the way, would, um, he would do a minimum of three days of testing. So let's say 25 tests per woman, and each person would have the same time of day when their spikes were happening. So mine might be two o'clock in the afternoon and eight o'clock at night. Someone else, it might be six in the morning and one in the afternoon. And, but it would be the same for that person. So you want to time your calcium citrate to before, like an hour or two, couple hours before your time of day when you feel most tired, most out of it, most clumsy, most loopy. Uh, most achy, most inflamed, you want to time it there. So I I highly recommend you take stuff at bedtime because bedtime is your healing time. When your body's doing this repair and recovery, it's going to make good use of that. Take it again in the morning because you've just gone through a whole night of tissue recovery and repair and you need more of it. Take it again at a meal. So there's a standard pattern, wake up, mealtime, and at uh, bedtime, but if you're having an attack of what you think is oxalate issues, and you can take more at that time and and time your dosing for your own circadian symptoms, basically.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks. That was great. And uh, just tidy up a bit on the potassium bicarb. If you're having a smoothie, it's no problem. It actually makes it taste pretty good. But if you're going to put that in water, it's a problem it's not too different than baking soda and the flavor just goes to heck so what i've done to get the benefit of potassium bicarb is actually just buy some large capsules and then put it in the capsules and just swallow them and there's no taste issue because you can't buy potassium
1: well i i use i use it um is a background way to mineralize my reverse osmosis water so per gallon i always put a quarter teaspoon of potassium bicarbonate and put three quarters of a teaspoon of potassium citrate, just in standard drinking water that my husband uses to make his coffee. And he really likes it in in the water for the coffee because that little bit of alkalinity in in the water makes for a smooth coffee because it cuts all the acids in the coffee. So just a little trace of it in the background, just so that your water, I also put some other minerals in there because I don't believe in drinking purified water. Your water should have some kind of minerals in it. Um, So- light amounts in the background is good. So because we're really trying to hydrate you and not people drinking just purified water, it goes right through them and they end up peeing all the time because it's not actually doing them much good. It's just running right through the system and probably pulling more minerals with them. So there's lots of different techniques to use to get these supplements in your system. You just have to figure out what works for you and kind of keep track of, am I getting at least half the RDA potassium? Am I getting as much calcium as is is working for me and just play with it. It's pretty, like you say, they're cheap, simple supplements and they're pretty safe and undangerous and you can play around with them and your body will tell you, if you're overdoing citrates, your stomach will start to get a little queasy and you can back off and you'll be
0: fine. With respect to the liquids though, uh, you mentioned the problems that with many teas. In fact, most, they have have oxalates in them, which is why you have to be cautious or at least throw some calcium citrate in there with it. But coffee gets a, a pass. Not only is it full of beneficial polyphenols, it's, it's a healthy version grown without toxic chemicals and microtoxins. But uh, there's no oxalates in coffee.
1: Very little. Yeah, it's really fine. And, it, and um, tea, if you do decaffeinated tea, the oxalates are at least a third less. But still tea, regular black and green tea and white tea are not good. But your herbal teas, there's, even teas that have cinnamon, that are, that's a high oxalate food, there's not a lot of oxalate in herbal teas. And there's plenty of herbal teas that taste similar to tea, like rhubarb. And there's a, some nice chicory. There's one called dandy blend. It tastes a lot like coffee. And a lot of us, do, I'm highly allergic to coffee and never have been a drinker of coffee. So I try to be sympathetic to the rest of the world who's addicted to it. But, and so that's why I did the blog post on coffee, because that's the first question. I figured if coffee was high in oxalate, I would have been killed by now. Yeah. So since I've been allowed to live, <laughs> we're
0: good. All right. So obviously it's hard to imagine anyone who's interested in health not finding some value in what we just discussed. So the obvious next step is to go and purchase your book. But guess what? That book doesn't exist. Uh, it's been on your mind for a while. And I'm pleased to announce that we've been able to facilitate a contract with you and Hay House and your book will hopefully be out in a year, at which point we'll have you back on to get some updates. But, Probably
1: uh, January of 2021 is the most realistic date, okay, but we'll see. Because right. I'm I'm really eager. I just love um, doing the research and trying to explain it. And I would just really like to see that book get out there because people are needing this bad. This is an invisible epidemic. We're at some level, we're all getting old and cranky and grumpy and osteopenic because we don't realize that our either habit with French fries and, and chips or peanuts or spinach smoothies or sweet potatoes are actually pulling us toward the grave.
0: Yeah. So where can people go until the book comes out? Where do you suggest that they head?
1: Well, I've got some free articles that I've written and there may be more in the future, but they're free on my site. If you go into the support tab on my website, there's a shop download page. And if you really get extravagant, you can spend $5.50 there and get my Beginner's Guide, which includes this nice little graphic that explains like spinach smoothie, not so good. You need to be down here. We need to switch over. It's got lists and so on. You can, um, but there's two free articles. One of them is more of a technical article written for more of a medically oriented audience, but it's worth reading if you don't mind that kind of style of writing. And then there's a more general audience one, both for free to download. And there's lots of information on my site. If you work your way through the various tabs on my site, you will get a huge education there. And then work your way back through all my blog posts or start from the beginning. There's enough reading there. You'll be busy for a while. And that will really help a lot. i have also
0: and- done many other interviews. So you can just go to YouTube uh, and type in Sally Norton and Oxalates and you'll come up with many, many different interviews. Hopefully this is one of the better ones. But uh, Of course are- it is. Yeah, there are other people <laughs> who've interviewed you so
1: uh plus uh, you can they're all on my website too so in the about menu the first menu is about me and the second menu in about is interviews and talks and there's links to almost all of them in there including a talk i did for ancestral health It's a 30 minute presentation with some graphics and that's a good way to get a good introduction and to share it with your friend or lover with kidney stones who really would rather not get another
0: kidney stone. I yeah. did a great ancestral health presen- symposium presentation, I think, in 2017. It was only a 30-minute yeah. con- condensed, concise uh, summary of what the issues are.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. tough to stand- jam this topic into 30 minutes because, you know, I could talk about it for three days.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully you'll get your opportunity in the book, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that out there and, and uh, having that as a resource for people who need it.
1: It's very exciting that you've discovered this topic. I'm so glad that you're helping your own health. You really look good right now. So hopefully that's the change in the diet that's gonna keep you getting younger and younger. I feel 35 years younger now than I did when I started the diet.
0: I'm doing a little, I mean, we're actually going to uh, be together in a week or two up in San Diego at an event done by JJ Virgin, who I've interviewed in the past. And uh, so we'll get to see each other in person. But and actually, I've shared with you my blood flow restriction training. So I I attribute a lot of this improvement. Yeah, you got your bands. So definitely, I'm ready to paper on that. And uh, I'm just yeah, I'm excited about a lot of things. Removal of oxalates and elimination of oxalates is one of them. Blood flow restriction training is another. As is hyperbaric oxygen therapy and infrared sauna. All great things. Ryo
1: uh, to- sauna in general. There's so many things you can do for your health that doesn't involve spinach or blenders. It's really fun.
0: But I'll tell you, this exercise. I mean, exercise is the, the hidden pearl. It does so many beneficial things to your body. And most of the the type of exercise that most people need, they can't do because it's just too too much of a challenge. But the blood flow restriction training gives one an opportunity to sort of bridge the gap to get all the benefits, which is why it's so, it's so cool, especially for elderly individuals.
1: Very synergistic with the oxalate problem because you can't overjar the body with exercise. And so you need to go light with uh, oxalates. And if you were using the blood flow restriction bands, you can do very mild exercise, which is yeah. really suited for people who are toxic with oxalates. So it would be cool if we could do like a study with people with this problem. That'd well, be we'll, fun. We'll have
0: to get together. I'll, we'll go through a BFR training session at least once, once or twice when we're out there in San Diego. Yeah, <laughs> that
1: will be but fun.
0: I want to hold a class on this, but then you have to have your band. So you bring your bands for sure.
1: I'll bring my bands. I got I got,
0: there all the have.
1: kinds I need.
0: <laughs> there we go. Good. All right. So I'm ready to funny? learn it. Yeah. It's so
1: fun to connect with you. It's, I just really appreciate your interest in this topic and helping us spread the word.
0: Thank you. Well it's you know, it's it totally fits what why why I went into this process to educate people about hidden things that have a radical uh leverage in improving their health at a pretty minimal to almost no cost. I mean, this is almost it's free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like the best it gets. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, I would highly recommend these supplements and you know, it's on your side yeah. listen to this again, but these supplements are pretty cheap and we're talking about like a hundred dollars for a year supply, probably less. Uh, maybe it's different. a deal. Yeah. It's a, it's a great deal. I mean, if you're hundred dollars for a whole family, so it'd be great. Uh, we don't yeah, sell. Well,
1: and there's more you can do. We didn't talk about it, but there's some therapeutic bathing you can do that has like five okay. or six That's salts in and so good. on. So there's a you can spend a little bit more money if you want to, and, and it's helpful, but this is like free and cheap. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for everything you're doing. I look forward to seeing you in person. To you. It's
1: going to be great. I'm looking All forward right. to it. Thank you.